All right. You ready to dive into the word this morning? I hope so, because today's message is a little bit weighty. It's a little heavy. It's something that we don't always like to talk about or think about, but it's so, so important for us as believers to be wrestling with some of the difficult issues in life. And we just have to talk about it. We have to read what the word says. We got to wrestle with some of the things. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared a message with you where I started talking about death, what it means to die. What's it like when we die? And I didn't get to go into a lot of detail about it, but I want to continue in that same sort of trajectory this week. And I, I want to just say a couple more things about death and then move on into some other things. But we know that death is painful. It feels unnatural. Why do we have death? We know in Genesis chapter 1 that when God created the heavens and the earth, everything that he did, he would do it, and then he'd say, it says, and he saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good over and over and over. And then we, and if you, you can imagine when, when you received that information back in the day and read it and go, wait a minute, it was good? And then look around and go, it don't feel real good. It doesn't look good. The world looks broken. It looks hurting. And it's true. When, when man chose to rebel against God, which Adam and Eve did and you and I do, we rebel against God's laws. We rebel against his way. We reject our relationship with him. He wants to relate with us, but we reject him and we go our own way. And ever since that started happening on the earth, death entered the scene. And so when, when a loved one passes away or when we're facing our own death, it feels wrong because it's wrong. It's not good. It isn't the way that it originally was, but now we're in this reality. And so it feels a little bit hopeless when we start thinking about our lives. What does it matter what I do with my life? I'm going to die anyway, we say to ourselves things like that. But the Bible gives us a bigger picture. It gives us a hope. It gives us an ultimate hope. Well beyond this life, what does the Bible teach about death and things after? I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me turn this on. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This is where the saying comes from, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So here's, I'm going to just summarize without a lot, without substantiating, based on my last message. And, and uh, you're welcome to ask questions about that later. You're welcome to email me questions, uh, any thoughts that you have. Uh, I'm happy to respond to those, but I'm not going to be able to go to great depth about this right now. But in that moment, you know, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. As believers, in the moment that we die, in the moment that we draw our last breath, and this flesh ceases to exist, our soul continues on in existence. Our consciousness, if you will. And we go to be with the Lord. The righteous, the people in Christ, the moment they die, they go to be with the Lord. And we talked about things like soul sleep or purgatory, things that we don't see in the Bible where we, we just sleep and we don't have any consciousness until he returns. Or teachings like purgatory where we go to an in-between place and have to suffer a while longer. Uh, we don't see those in the Bible. 
We would teach that the moment that you close your eyes and draw your last breath, you, be, you go to be with the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me, can I have that water right there, please? Thank you. So the moment we die, we go to be with the Lord. Now, what we, what we need to start to unwrap this a little bit, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about exactly what it's like. It's beyond, I think, our ability to comprehend and describe in this life. But the Bible does go to great lengths to try and describe things to us when we die or what it's like in the hereafter. So we know that to, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And we especially know that for those that are in Christ. But what about those who are not in Christ, those who have been wicked, those that are unrighteous, those that have rejected the gospel? We, we understand from the scripture that uh, they, they go to a place of, of waiting. You know, in the Old Testament, they would have talked about, this, uh, they would have talked about Sheol. In the Greek world, they would have used the word Hades. It's the place of the dead. And when we look at, you know, the Jews believed that, uh, you know, we see from things that Jeremiah said, things that David said, things that Job said, that they all expected that they would go to Sheol when they died. A place of holding, a place of waiting. Not necessarily a pleasant place, but we don't know a lot about it. It's the place of the dead. So in the Old Testament, they understood that as soon as you died, that's where you go. And they don't get a lot of information about what's supposed to happen after that. And in the same way we would teach today that those who are not in Christ would go to a place of the dead. How many of you have heard of hell? Wow, not very many. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Considering it's a part of most people's everyday language. Right? What the? Yeah. <laughs> this can get confusing. And, and here, I, I do want to preface this by saying that because the Bible says so very little, it says enough, but it doesn't go into great lengths about it. This is a controversial subject. When we start talking about heaven and hell, it gets controversial about what people believe because it becomes emotional, it becomes painful. And so we, we have to say, what? We have to look at the Bible and go, what does it say? And then we have to be careful about how we, you know, it's one of those things in Romans that Romans calls a disputable matter. We don't pass judgment on disputable matters. You don't have to agree with me. You'd be wrong, but you don't have to agree. I saw a sign the other day that said, I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. <laughs> I'm just teasing. There's a lot of beliefs about this, and so I'm just going to summarize that immediate state after death. You know, we tend to think that as soon as you die, you go to heaven or you go to hell, and that's the end of the story. Eternally here or there. But that doesn't look like what the Bible teaches. I don't see it quite happening that way. And we'll continue to unpack this. But I want to start by simply saying this. It seems as though those that are righteous go to be with Christ immediately. And that those who are not go to a place of the dead, waiting. Not, I, I'm not going to say hell because I'm using the term hell as eternal condemnation. Eternal destination after judgment which is a different location than the place of the dead. And we'll look at that in the scriptures. Are you having fun yet? Oh, this is going to be fun. All right. Hey, this is very serious. Don't laugh. Okay. Okay, I want to continue with this. I want to talk about judgment. Judgment day. Eternal judgment. Yeah, I'm glad I'm coming to church today. 
In Acts chapter 17, Paul has come to the city of Athens, and he's, he's at the Areopagus. Uh, I had the opportunity to stand there myself several years ago. Janie and I and, and Jen Rebo, our uh, administrative assistant, we were there for a conference. And I got to stand right there at the Areopagus, right where Paul was standing when he said these words to the people of Athens. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Remember, we've talked about repent. Change your mind. Turn and go a different direction. That's what repent means. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, who is Jesus. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. A couple weeks ago, Jeff preached about Jesus rose from the dead, period. And what a significant fact that is for our faith. Last week we did baptisms. This idea that we're leaving the old behind and we're taking on the new. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he's assured that God is in control and that there is a day of judgment coming. We don't like the word judgment. It's a difficult one. But we know that there is a day coming when God will judge and it's difficult to think about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. What does that mean? In this life. We receive for what we've done in this life, whether good or evil. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you're storing up wrath for yourself. That doesn't sound very good. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See, in the beginning, creation was good. And man joined in Satan's rebellion and rebelled against God. And God brings the whole thing to account someday. There will be a day that every single human being and angel gives account to God. There will be a reckoning. There's a day where God looks at the account of our lives and evaluates. Does that scare you? Yeah, it does me. God is all-powerful. He sees all things. He's known my every thought and every step. He's awesome, like we sang. Well beyond us. It's a powerful thing. I think even though we're confident of our salvation, we know that Jesus died for us, I still think we'll shake on our shoes a little bit when we stand there at the awesomeness of this righteous judge because God is completely righteous and he's completely just. His decisions are just. There's no question about it. There won't be any wondering of, was God right to do that? That will not be a question. We will all know and understand that he is right. Whatever he decides, even though it's really hard and painful for us to get our heads around that sometimes, we will all give an account before God. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. Things will be exposed. Things that have been hidden, they'll come to light and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Our hearts will be revealed. You might look good to everybody else. And everybody else might, you know, think you've never sinned in your life. But God knows your heart. 
and that will be exposed. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Here's a really uncomfortable passage in the scripture. Jesus is telling a parable and he, he separates the people out into two groups like sheep and goats. And he judges. He's, he's making a judgment about their situation. And it concludes with a couple of verses here that are, in my opinion, some of the saddest, most difficult passages of Scripture in the entire Bible right here. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. goes on in verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Are you uncomfortable yet? This subject is tragic because it reminds us that man rebelled. It reminds us that creation was good. And indeed, there are many things in creation that are still good. We see the remnant of God's good creation especially when we go outside today and the sun's shining over the mountains and the grass is turning green and, man, I hear the robins the last few evenings outside my back door. There, there's still a lot of good in creation, isn't there? It remembers its creator. It remembers its good creation. But man, as the steward, as the one responsible for creation, has rebelled against the maker. And death has entered and evil has been allowed to run free. And now it is... Not completely good. So there's a day coming. The sad thing is, too, that we give an account. And that isn't a pleasant thought because we all know that we've made mistakes. We all know we've got it wrong at times. I want to point out something as we get into a more uncomfortable conversation here. Do you notice what the eternal fire was originally prepared for? Who, okay, this is, this is where we're going to start talking about hell for a little bit. What is it? What's going on here? What is this eternal punishment from God? It was something originally designed by God to punish Satan and his angels that had rebelled against him. And now mankind, having joined in that endeavor, also will receive that punishment for his rebellion. But it's important to understand this was the original intent of condemnation of what we would call hell. I want to cover just a couple more passages before I unpack some of these further. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Again, it gives us a picture. Christ is returning with purpose. He will save people. He will judge people. John chapter 5. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Have you ever thought about this? Everyone will be resurrected. Did you know that? Everyone, good or evil, will resurrect. Every human that has ever lived will resurrect and face judgment, whether for good or whether for evil. 
I think sometimes when we, you know, we just got done celebrating Easter, we're celebrating Christ's resurrection. We're like, Christians resurrect someday. Everybody resurrects someday. And they do so then in order to face God and give an account for their lives. There's a, also an interesting concept that we see developed in several passages of Scripture. And it's the idea that there are varying degrees of punishment and varying degrees of reward. See, we're rewarded according to, what is according to? What we have done in this life. we got parable of like the talents, things like that, where we see that teachers are judged more harshly according to James. Uh-oh, that makes me a little nervous, to be honest. And it says here, Jesus is telling a story in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 47, and he's referring to the same idea. He says, and that servant, he's talking about a, a servant that knew what his master wanted but didn't do it. He, he will, and that servant who knew his, fasters, fasters, his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. There's a number of passages that indicate this concept of God is just, and he rewards and punishes accordingly. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So we have this indication of a coming day of judgment. We have a picture of a place prepared for Satan and his angels. Then in Revelation 20, which I'll get to in a little bit, a place that God has prepared for the people that love him. So here's the thing. When you and I talk about, we've had a lot of mythology and things influence our ideas of what heaven and hell are. But we need to make sure that as we're thinking through those things, we're well grounded in what the word of God says about what they are. So when we talk about heaven, usually what we say is die and go to heaven, and that's the end of the story, right? And I keep kind of hitting on this each week because it actually does affect uh, how we communicate and what we believe. The reality is you will go to heaven as a believer in Christ without a body. When Jesus returns, you will be resurrected, and you will then have a body again, an, an undying one, one that doesn't get sick, one that doesn't decay. And in that resurrected body, you will face God in final judgment. Make sense? But then we have to deal with this uncomfortable issue. I mean, it's fun to think about Jesus rescuing us and we're going to heaven and we're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth and we're going to have these resurrected undying bodies. But then we have to face the uncomfortable reality that there's also judgment. Jesus, when he was talking to, uh, in a couple different places, he talks about uh, Corazon and Bethsaida. He says, woe to you, Corazon and Bethsaida. It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than you on the day of judgment. Or he says to people that reject the gospel, when the disciples are going out and preaching, he, sa- he says, woe to that town. It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for you. What does that tell you? Varying degrees of judgment and punishment 
God is just. I don't know what that means. Now, people get into this thing, ah, there's layers of hell and stuff like that. I'm not getting into any of that. Don't know. Doesn't say that. I want to read in Revelation chapter 20 now to you to give you another picture. This is at the end. This is John having a prophetic vision about the culmination of things. And I think when we're talking about hope, Jerry, your message is called Ultimate Hope. So far, it's not very (laughs) hopeful. Because we have to realize what God has done for us, what he's done for the people that choose to love him and the people that he chose, depending on which side of that debate you're on. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small. Hey, you'll be a part of this. You'll be a part of this. You'll see this. You'll be one of those. And I saw the dead, great and small, small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. I just want to deal with something very quickly here as we continue in this conversation, (laughs) touching on the hell issue. I really think there's a strong distinction in the Bible, and I think most theologians agree, the difference between death and Hades and hell are different. Hades is the holding place of the dead that have not yet faced judgment. Hell would be the place of eternal judgment. It's unoccupied right now, I think. Actually, you know, you see the far side cartoons with the devil down there and his pitchfork. Anybody? Okay, thank you. And that's how we think, and people are in line checking in. And there's just all kinds of jokes I could make. I'm just going to leave that alone. That's how we think about hell. We think of it as Satan's domain, where, where, where demons live and hang out and Like, you know, when you get there, they torture you. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's a mythological idea of what hell is. Hell is a place prepared to punish Satan and his angels. Peter even says that angels that are, I don't know how this works, I don't understand it, but it says some angels are bound in Tartarus is another word they use for a place of the dead. These are Greek words that the Jews applied to try and get across this understanding. Tartarus was another word that sometimes gets translated Hades, sometimes gets translated hell, but it's, a pla- it's dark and gloomy, whatever it is. Angels also are in a place of holding, a place of waiting, gloomy darkness. It doesn't sound very good, but it isn't their hell yet. It's not, it's not their eternal condemnation yet. They're waiting to be judged. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Wait, you threw hell into hell? That doesn't make any sense. You see what I'm getting at? Hades and hell are not the same thing in the Bible. I have to wrestle with the distinction between these. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So what's going on? The dead are rising. Books are opened. It's, it's the image of a book of your life. So Jeff Wald. 
whatever day. Here's his dates of existence. Okay, Jeff, let's see what you did. Well, yeah, that's pretty good. And then look in the, over here, he's got the book of life. Am I making a joke about judgment? That's probably not very funny. And then you look at the book of life. And he goes, is Jeff in here? Yes, he is. Well, Jeff, you did a few sketchy things in your life, but you're one of my sons. Come on in, good and faithful servant. Enjoy your master's happiness. Right? And we see that's what it will be like on that day. God will look. And the reality is, is that none of us will have such a good book that he's like, well, you're not in the book of life, but you did a pretty good job. You're in. That isn't how it works. Nobody measures up. Nobody's good enough for God. Can you just alleviate the pressure off yourself to be good enough for God? I want you to be good. Don't get me wrong. But you're never going to be good enough for God in the sense that you're going to win your salvation. Or that he's going to be like, boy, everybody else is in trouble, but boy, you just did such a great job, Janny. I mean, if anybody would be that person, it'd be my wife. (laughs) You were such a good person. I assigned you to JR, and you managed that so well. Wow, you are in. (laughs) Amen, huh? Yeah. So, I hope that I'm making sense to tell you that when we die, we're with Christ or we're in the place of the dead. Okay? And we resurrect everyone to face judgment. And at judgment, we split ways again. We go on into the new creation with Christ, or we go into what the book of Revelation calls a lake of fire. Now, what do we, we don't actually know a lot about hell or the lake of fire or eternal condemnation. Okay, if, if Satan is being punished there, then I don't think he's going to be chasing me around with a pitchfork. Okay? I don't plan on being there anyways, find out. But I think really what it is is that there, it, it, whatever you choose to end up believing about this, you have to read the scripture and understand you don't want to go there. It is not where you want to end up. You want to end up going on to experiencing the good creation as God originally intended it. And even better, because we will understand his love and mercy better than we would have in the previous creation. So people get into the nitty-gritty about it. I want to, let me just talk about this for a second. Have you heard of annihilationism? Well, you know what annihilate means, right? To just wipe something out. You annihilate it. There's been a lot of Christian doctrine that's come out in the last 50 years or so, even 100 years, Say, you know, we have a hard time imagining eternal punishment. Is that fair? Is it right? It doesn't feel right. I mean, maybe for Hitler, but how does that work? How do we wrap our minds? And a compassion kicks in and a heartache kicks in. Paul said, I I wish I were cut off for the sake of my brothers, for his race. He grieved over their loss. It's a grievous thing. Like, how is this fair? So some people have come up with the idea that it won't be eternal. Even though the Bible says several times it's eternal, still ways of kind of juggling it to make it seem like God will just have mercy at some point and just they will cease to exist altogether. Or they'll lose consciousness. I've seen theories on 
Lots of different things. I don't want to get into those. I don't really think anyone can become an expert on hell. The Bible's just too vague about it. God gave us enough information that he wanted us to have. If he wanted you to be an expert on the temperature of hell, he would have told you. But he doesn't. He's like, there is a reckoning coming. And for those who have reconciled with God, it will be good. And for those that don't, it won't. Remember this parable of Lazarus and the rich man? Uh, The rich man says, wait, let me go back and tell my brothers so they can repent. Abraham's like, even if you rise from the dead, they won't believe you. We have to remember some of these things. God is righteous and just. Here's another thing. Is it fair? We, We wrestle, is it fair? Look, I don't know what God will do. I'm not sitting here prescribing to you exactly what he will do. He's the boss, okay? And I know he's just, and I know he's merciful. So I'm happy to leave it in his hands. I'm telling you what the Bible teaches, what I think it teaches. So is it fair? Here's the thing. It's, I, could, I could look at, you know, somebody's life and, and you, know, I'm bar- bar- you know, they're barely better than me or I'm barely better than them. And what if God, what if they end up condemned? How is that fair? I think it's really important. Here's the thing. We are not in a position to actually decide what justice really is because we're corrupt. We have our own form of it. See, this is what we do. How many, how many times have you heard people say, I'm a good person? Relatively speaking, you are a good person. But do we understand how egregious the evil of rebelling against God was and is? I don't think we do. So relatively speaking, I'm not evil. I mean, would you call me evil? Come on. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff wouldn't. Jeff, I'm going to put that in your book. We, we tend to evaluate with those souls. And it's tragic and it's sad, but it's real. All right. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. I'm done. I'm done. Nice job. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Okay, so, Jared, what's, what's the purpose of understanding the, the, some of these doctrines? Well, you need to know where you're going and things like that. But here's an important one I want to mention. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. How often should you avenge yourself? Okay, so here's the thing. If you wrong me, I'm going to want to get you back. Okay, I'm going to want to make it right. It's not fair what you did to me. It's not just. You deserve some sort of punishment because you wronged me. Right? We automatically feel that way. We automatically, oh, you, you took away my stuff. You hurt my family. You lied about me and smeared me on the news. Whatever it is, you know, great, huge things. And we want to take revenge. I'm going to make you hurt like I hurt. Because you deserve it. Right? We do that, don't we? But what does this say? Never avenge yourself. And then he tells us why. It's not your job to avenge. You're not just. I mean, relatively you might be. But in the economy of God, none of us is capable of being that just. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we know that an account will be given. So doesn't that bother you when someone just gets away with the most egregious crime? And man, there's some stories I don't even want to go into them. will depress you. As if today isn't difficult enough, right? 
where people get away with something and they go on and live the rest of their lives fine. And you sit here stewing about, you know, whoever that person was. But you guys, nobody, not you, not me, not the person that got away with everything in this life, ultimately gets away with it. Nobody gets away with it. How many people get away with it? None, nobody, no one. Every person from from here to Adam will stand before God and give an account for everything. And God is the one who dispenses justice. There's no vengeance you could get in this life that will even compare to the wrath of God. And really, hopefully, that stirs a little bit of compassion in us for the people that have offended us because we know we're in the same boat in many ways. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. See, we can get tempted to believe that God's like, yeah, you're headed to hell. It's hot there. That's gross. Some people preach like that. In fact, I'm probably making too light of it with sneaking in my dumb jokes. This is a very serious issue. But God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God is loving and just, and he desires that people will turn, but some people will never turn. They will never accept the gospel. They will never accept the reconciliation that God offers for man. Remember, he says, through Abraham to the rich man in the story that Jesus tells, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And the man's like, they're not going to listen to him. It is what God did in all his wisdom. And he is wise. So when we start to struggle with our thoughts about this, we have to stretch our thinking even to this point of like, God is just beyond just. He's just, his justice is beyond what I can understand. And his compassion is beyond what I can understand. See, there's some people that are believers that have hurt you and you want to get revenge on them and they will stand before God and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you'll go, what? And people will do that to you too. Because God's love Also, his grace and mercy that have been accepted by those people will be enough to cover that and they will not be subject to the wrath of God. Why? Because God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross took care of that. The cross wiped away that need for vengeance, that need for justice. That's why Jesus' innocent blood is so powerful. That's why we sing about it on Sunday morning. Because it washes away that judgment. Now, I didn't get quite as far as I wanted this morning, but I want to wrap up with this. Wow, I really was overshooting here, wasn't I? I'm going to wrap up with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Please walk away from this. Yeah, be, be bothered. I'm okay if you're bothered about heaven and hell and judgment and new creation. I, I, you know, let that bother you a little bit. Go study it. Learn about it. But don't forget this. 
In all of it, don't forget this. And in all of it, this is your message to the people around you in a world that is broken. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Should you have a fear of that judgment of God? Not if you're in Christ. You don't need to. I mean, yeah, it'll be, I I don't know. I just imagine it will be awe-inspiring, shaking your shoes, amazing. But even in that moment, you will rest assured that you will not be condemned because Jesus was condemned for you. He took your place on the cross. Would you stand, please? I want to tell you this morning, I, I, I stand up here today feeling very sure that I will not be condemned. And I'm so thankful for that. But I also know what it's like to not feel so sure. To wonder what God really will say to me on that day. How he will judge me. And if you're one of those people who really isn't sure, you really struggle with the idea that God will save you. That there is no condemnation for you. If you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I would, con- I would encourage you this morning to do that. In fact, can I have my prayer team come straight up here in the front? Bill and Rachel. I got one other. Who is it? Lynn. Listen, do not leave here today without confidence that Jesus saves your life. Don't leave here today without knowing that you've given it to him that you've been covered by that blood. We say, Jesus, your blood has made my hands clean. What a weird thing to sing, right? How does blood clean your hands? Well, it's metaphorical, right? My hands are dirty. They're full of sin and wrong things. But Jesus' death on the cross, that shedding of his blood cleanses it, and I'm free of guilt. I'm free of shame. I'm free of fear. So as I close in prayer today, as soon as I'm done, Do not miss this opportunity to pray with our prayer team and make sure that you're really surrendering your life to Christ. He loves you. He wants you. Did you see that? He doesn't desire in the death of the wicked. He wants everyone to turn to him. He desires that none perish. Let's pray. Father, we sometimes are just, I'm just astounded at your design. Look at the whole big picture and the, the history and Adam to Revelation and just, I marvel at it. I'm amazed at what you've done and how you've designed it and how it, the more we dig into it, the more there is to learn about you and the more there is to know. And Lord, we look forward to a day of a new heaven and a new earth where, where you make things new. And God, we, we're... While we're in this life, Lord, your, your word's very clear that you reward and punish according to the way we live. And God, I pray you would lead us. Your, your word says that you foreordained good works for us to accomplish. I pray that you'd lead us in effectiveness in those works. Lord, I pray for anybody that's struggling this morning with um, your righteous judgment. God, that anyone that needs to surrender to you this morning, that they will, that they'll Respond to your tug on their heart and visit with the prayer team, Lord. We want to welcome more and more into your kingdom every day. Pray your blessing upon each one as they go and enjoy this beautiful place that we live. And we thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys have a great rest of your Sunday.
We'll see you back here with Leon next week.